It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. We are going to hear from Jackie Summers in this episode. He's an entrepreneur and founder of the liqueur called Sorel. Several episodes ago, we had Hobie Wedler on, who worked with Jackie to help take Sorel to the next level and get it ready for distribution and mass production all over the United States and even all over the world. It really is a pretty unique drink and has won awards all over the world. And there's a pretty good chance that uh, you can pick up a bottle of Sorel somewhere near you. But Jackie is a a super interesting guy, and I get the feeling that he doesn't really like to sit around much. He is uh, always on the move. He's got a great personality and is is really feels strongly about inclusion and diversity in the workplace and in the world, really, and is a a champion for um, true inclusion. I'm excited to talk to Jackie. Let's pop over to, I think, probably Brooklyn, where he is. Hey, Jackie, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Hey, how are you feeling tonight? Hey, Jackie, I am feeling tremendous, and I appreciate you asking. How about you? I am having a long day, so I'm glad we get to end it with a good conversation. <laughs> well, good. Uh, you are Jack from Brooklyn. Are we talking to Jack in Brooklyn? Uh, I am in Brooklyn, but born and raised, native son. Brooklyn's taught you a lot about life, I presume. Brooklyn is an interesting place. It can be unforgiving, but you will develop the sort of skin that will let you deal with most kind of adversities in a straightforward way. <laughs> yeah, and I've I've read a little bit about your story. I don't know it backwards and forwards, but you certainly have, you, you've got a story. And we're going to jump back and forth on a lot of different topics here. But I've, I've heard you quoted as, you know, you're the, the founder of Sorel and Jack from Brooklyn. And we're going to talk about all those kind of things. I'm going to fast forward into Sorel here. But as you were talking about Sorel, that you've been quoted that you want to use Sorel as a vehicle for storytelling and because story is important. And uh, that's kind of what we do here on the podcast is we tell stories, we share stories, we challenge beliefs and reveal abilities that make people extraordinary. And based on what I've seen about your story, Jackie, uh, you've definitely fallen into that category. Thank you. The, the, you know what the great part about this is, though, John? It's not my stories. None of it's about me. Yeah, your story it goes back quite a ways, doesn't it? It goes back at least a few thousand years, but my 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 version of it really starts around five hundred years ago. Okay, well, that's still pretty pretty far back. Okay, so what happened five hundred years ago? That is that the basis of the Sorel drink that that you know? Yes. So if you went back thousands of years, Africans knew that hibiscus was a powerful medicinal plant that's full of antioxidants, antimicrobials, antifungals. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. It's a natural aphrodisiac. And this was part of all of their ceremony and their traditions. It was in everything. And then if you skip forward to about 500 years ago, the transatlantic trade starts. And now bodies and spices are being stolen from the continent of Africa, uh, shoved into the bottom of boats and shipped across the ocean to be sold in ports in in the Caribbean. And this beverage, which was made in Africa for thousands of years, starts to be made in the Caribbean where the where these people are now being sold off. And the flower is planted. It literally takes root. 
And this tradition, this African, African tradition of making beverages from this flower takes root in every island of the Caribbean. And they're all doing a slightly different version based on what spices are being traded in their ports. And interestingly, there are no recipes written down for this because the people who were making it weren't allowed to read or write. If you didn't watch your mother or your grandmother make it, you didn't know how. Wow. Wow. My my grandfather, my grandparents came from Barbados in 1920 to America. And my grandfather was a chef. He taught my mom and my mom taught me. So I've always known a version of this, made a version in my kitchen for friends and family for almost 20 years. Didn't think twice about it. And uh, that's from the unwritten recipe that that I guess you watched them make or that they taught you how to make? I had to recreate the recipe from memory, from what I remember tasting as a child. And it's really tricky. And here's why. Hibiscus is so acidic that what most people just do is bury it in sugar. And then it's syrupy and cloying and not fun. Mm -hmm. So the real trick is figuring out how to balance out the acidity of the hibiscus without making it too syrupy. Okay. Now... Somebody that I had on the podcast a few weeks ago, the great uh, Hobie Wedler. I don't know if that's exactly what he did with you, but as a, a chemist himself, he. So you kind of you had this formula that yes. you've you'd mastered, and you're like thinking, okay, this is great. I want people to know this. This is this is for the masses. We want to make this for the masses. You know, produce this on a, a large scale, and you ran into some some roadblocks on that. And um, how, what what was it like working with Hobie, and and what was his his part in the Sorel story? Hobie is an absolute pleasure to work with. He is not just incredibly knowledgeable and and beyond enthusiastic. He is just the most amicable human being. He wants to have the best conditions for everybody, and he's very very dedicated to to doing the best job that he can. So the problem that I ran into is how do we mass produce this? I was already making this uh, a thousand gallons at a time in a, in, a, in a distillery in Red Hook, Brooklyn, but we signed a new contract in 2021 with a company called Laird's. They're America's oldest distiller. They made Applejack for George Washington and they're still around. Wow, that's now, now also back up here too. So it's the uh, United States oldest distillery, right? Yes, their license number is one. One. Okay. <laughs> so they're number one. They got the sign with the pennant, you know, the finger thing. Literally. Yeah. In addition to being the uh, United States oldest distillery, um, do I have it correct that you were the first black the legals to distiller in the United States? When I got my license to make liquor in 2012, I was the only black person in America at the time to hold a distilled spirits plant permit. It turns out that I'm the first legal licensed distiller Post-prohibition, and I always want to put insert that footnote because we know people did it prior to prohibition, but we don't have any of their records. The records were all destroyed. Hmm. That's a, that's um, as amazing as that is. It's awful. It's yeah. It's challenge. I don't. I don't understand how. Yeah, there's. I don't know how that's possible that it's been that long. Systemic disenfranchisement will do that. Hmm. Well, I can't think of a better person to be number one, working at the number one uh, distillery? There are probably lots of better people than me. Uh, I'm sure of it, actually. Uh, 
I wasn't actually trying to be first. I don't think that people who are who make these breakthroughs are ever trying to be first. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a here's a fun thing. A few years ago, there was a movie called Hidden Treasures about the black woman who did the math that put men on the moon. My uncle worked on that project, but he worked in waste reclamation. The only thing more important than the math that gets people to the moon and back <laughs> is making sure they have somewhere to pee and poop while they're on <laughs> stuck yeah. there. Yeah. It's not glorious, but it was a super important job. Yeah. Not trying to do anything important. He was trying to feed a family. Yeah. So for me, this was the way that I chose to make my living in the world. Hmm. Okay, so let's go back to Hobie. So you're trying to mass produce this at the uh, the oldest distillery in the U.S., and um, you need some help. Yes. Hobie has a PhD in organic, chem- in organic chemistry, and he is absolutely brilliant. So I hired him in, G- in January of this year, and truthfully, I believe he's become the country's leading expert on hibiscus in the past year. He's just entirely embraced this project, and with his help, we are able to make more of it faster for less money and it tastes better. So everything he wrote to the project made the made the actual product better. How did you connect with Hobie? I have been teaching about diversity, equity, and inclusion in hospital in the hospitality space for years. But part of what I find is a problem with when we talk about diversity and diversity is it becomes a black and white issue. And I believe it should extend to far more than racial issues. We don't hear often enough. We don't hear sexism talked about. We don't hear homophobia talked about. We don't hear ageism, ageism talked about. And we don't hear disability talked about. So I wanted to make sure that I had the widest range of possible angles to discuss what, what diversity really looks like. Mm-hmm. And I was hired by Heaven Hill to conduct some seminar work about diversity and I asked Hobie to be a panelist for me and he was just brilliant and compassionate and passionate and eloquent and we became good friends. Yeah, I could see where that would be easy because he seems like that kind of a guy. Now, Hobie, of course, is uh, totally blind since birth. What, what does he bring to the table that maybe somebody that's uh, equally qualified as a chemist or something on paper wouldn't know um, with, with sight. So what, what is his, what, what do you think is sight loss? How does it make Sorel better or, or the project that he worked on? The interesting thing about Hobie is he never lost his sight because he was born blind. So he has had to develop other senses to navigate through the world literally since birth. So I noticed Hobie does something when he speaks. He's a very talented public speaker. But because I am sighted and I've got some training with public speaking, I was taught to gesture with my hands for emphasis when I give a talk. Mm-hmm. Sure. Hobie speaks with his hands with his mouth. Mm. He has learned how to compensate for all of these other things that a sighted person might take for granted with other senses. So he's got he would he would he would not say that he's got a greater level of sensory perception that other people do. He just pays deeper attention mm-hmm. to what it's telling him than other people do. So his palate is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, the joke he tells is he says he can see flavor and I believe him. 
we asked him to do a flavor wheel so he could actually identify the flavors he tastes when he tastes Sorel. And he identified over 200 flavors. It's amazing. That is amazing. What are the the compound or not the compounds, but the flavors? There's clover, there's um, cinnamon. There's Moroccan hibiscus, Nigerian ginger, Indonesian cinnamon and nutmeg, and Brazilian clove. Those are the five botanicals in Sorel liqueur. And they come together. I've also heard it's call it a uh, Christmas in a glass Sorel, right? There's all kinds of different ways to drink it. Hot, cold, on the rocks, in other things. What is your favorite way to drink it? Well, my background is Caribbean. All of my grandparents came from the Caribbean. And in the Caribbean, they just drink this neat. They might have it over ice with some lime and maybe some seltzer, but that's all. Uh, I live in Brooklyn, uh, and it gets cold here. It's cold here now. So when it's cold out, I drink it hot. I just heat it up in a microwave for a few seconds. And when it's hot out, I drink it cold. Okay. And there's, that's a totally different experience, right? The cold versus the hot. What's interesting is if you serve it cold, all of the fruity floral notes of hibiscus just burst in your mouth. But if you serve it hot, the hibiscus takes a backseat to the baking spices and then it's warm and comforting. It's like a, it's like a nice boozy hug. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's go back a little bit. You said in 2012, you got the license, I think you said. Yep. So that was about 10 years ago. Um, you're at least a little older than than 20 in life. So that means you were probably doing something before. So what, what was life like before? Um, I mean, you've always been Jack from Brooklyn, but uh, when, when did that really take off? And what was life like before Sorrel and the, the Sorrel idea? I had 25 years invested in corporate America, five in finance, 10 in marketing, and 10 in publishing. So my last corporate job, I was director of new media and production at a fashion magazine. Was it time for a change? Was there was the writing on the in the magazine, I guess, or on the wall? Or what was the impetus to change? Oh, I, I had a cancer scare. My my doctor found a tumor inside my spine the size of a golf ball. Mm, okay. He said, you have a 95% chance of death and a 50% chance of paralysis. If you live, you should organize your paperwork. Okay. I lived, uh, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, this conversation would be weird if I died, right? <laughs> uh, but the experience will adjust your perspective. Sure. Permanently. Sure. I had a chance. I, I, well, I, I call it a gift because I got the opportunity to make peace with death. I know I'm going to die. The question is, how are you going to live? Like, what is really important to you? What are your priorities in life? And I decided that what I want to do with my life is day drink. I want to be around interesting people in the middle of the day instead of in an office. I want to have great conversation and great food and great beverage, and I wanted to monetize it. And when I couldn't think who was going to pay me to do that, I launched a liquor brand. And now it's my job to travel the country, meet interesting people, and drink with them. Okay. Sounds like fun. Has that been pretty rewarding, pretty fun? I meet a lot of interesting people, and it is true that I do get to meet I, I really do get to do this, but there's so much more to it than just that. There is a lot more to running a successful liquor company 
than the things that end up on social media. Yeah, well, that's life in general. Things that end up on social media, those aren't those aren't really the the real moments in life, or at least the trying times anyway. So that I think that's definitely true. It's all real, but it's a highlight reel. It's not the outtakes. Yeah. And the outtakes are what's really what's really fun. Yeah, and you've I, I just I do know a little bit about the Sorrell story. It's been been up and down and started and stopped and people come and go and money comes and goes and and distilleries get flooded from hurricanes and I mean it's been quite a quite a ride hasn't it It's been quite a ride but I don't think anything I've been through is anywhere near what the people who brought this beverage to this to these shores went through so I figure if they didn't stop neither should I Yeah right on and something else that you uh, didn't stop on, I've, you, as you mentioned, you've done some speaking and you, I think, spoke to some people or maybe in your previous places about, your, we talked about equity and inclusion and stuff, and that certainly is important. And people like to talk about that because they're kind of buzzwords, right? Yes. And there's some, um, what's the term? Uh, virtue signaling. People, people will virtue signal with those buzzwords and make it sound good and make people try to feel good or make themselves feel good that they say those things, but diversity and inclusion, they don't, they don't mean something that's a, that's a deep, um, pool to get into of, of things that need to happen to truly be diversified. So, um, you talked about that, about being included in, in maybe higher levels of companies or decision-making positions and about having to, talk to people about extending the table to let other people and other opinions and other ideas be included in some of the decisions and things that are being made or that are being made. And, um, that didn't really go as, as well as you thought it would because uh, people weren't necessarily receptive to that kind of thing because they're kind of stuck in their ways as humans are. And, and, and we have institutions and businesses that have been built that way for a million billion years and, and change is tough. You know, I've noticed that as I've gotten older, I used to make fun of my parents for doing things the same way all the time. And now that I got a few years under my belt and I have kids, I think, you know, I'm turning to my parents for God's sake. So maybe I do need to adapt and change on, on some things, but if you can't do that, then what do you do, Jackie? I believe in change, but I believe that human beings are slow about upsetting the status quo. There are people who are used to the entrenched systems because truthfully it benefits them. And there isn't a good motivation truly for them to mess up a good thing for them. Not necessarily good for the people who are disenfranchised. And it has been a goal of mine to, to the extent possible, help people to understand why it's in their best interest whenever possible to extend that table. But if you can't get people to extend the table, by all means, go out and build your own, build your own table and then invite whoever you want at that table to sit down. Yeah, that's genius. And as, as an entrepreneur, I think you are used to building your own table and, and lots of different things in life. And yes. that's kind of the approach you took here with Sorrel, I guess, right? Yep. I have a particular affliction in that I do not know what I cannot do. So when I start to do something, it does not ever really sort of ring in my mind whether it's possible or not i figure if i haven't done it yet it's just i haven't done it yet okay so let's try this this sounds yeah. like this sounds like a good idea yeah yeah kind of like look mom no hands kind of thing 
I'm genetically stubborn. It has has been a blessing and a malediction. (laughs) So where where is the coolest place that uh, Sorrel has taken you in the last 10 years or so now? I've been all over the world. I've been to Poland. I've been to Brazil. I've been to France. I've been all over the, the United States. But the interesting thing is I always want to come home. I always want to come back to, and I, I get that there's this homing instinct that people have to come back to the familiar. I, there are other places I want to go, and I might eventually someday leave Brooklyn, but Brooklyn always calls me back. And you're Jack from Brooklyn, so. This is true. That's, that's always where it'll be. Uh, no matter where I go, I'll always be Jack from Brooklyn, but I might not always stay. I might not always be here. Sure. Well, you got to leave your possibilities open. You might have to build a new table somewhere else, you know? Looking forward to that, actually. <laughs> Looking forward to building lots of tables for, for different people in different places. Yeah. And is Sorrel pretty much, is it available throughout the United States at this point? It's I'm, in, available- I'm in Texas, so I know it's here. We're in about 20 states right now, but it's available online in every state. Okay. And what, what is online? Where do you go for that? Sorrelofficial.com. You can go online, click it, have them deliver it right to your door. Awesome. Uh, but you are in Texas, right? Uh, well, yes, I, I, you sir. are in Texas. I know that. So if you're in Texas, then you can go to, um, like, I think most places, at least the bigger ones anyway, Specs and Goody Goody and what's the other one? Total, uh, wine. Total Wines. Yeah, most of the, the bigger places um, have that. Where, where is it normally at in those stores? What's it near? It's in it's in the liqueur section. Okay. So if you can find Campari or Aperol or Bailey's, you will find Sorel. And it's a cool bottle. It's tall, and I don't know how would you describe the bottle? Tall and kind of slender. So I designed that bottle myself. All right. Well, tell me about it. What went into it? When I started the project a decade ago, my bottle broker told me that I could get a proprietary design for less than the cost of a stock bottle. That's strange. So having never done it before with everything else, I decided I was going to design my own bottle. I knew it had to be a certain height. So it would be the tallest thing on the shelf and still fit. It had to be a certain weight empty. So it would not create fatigue if you picked it up multiple times a night. And it had to fit comfortably on shelves or in a, or in a back or in a well and only take up one space. Mm-hmm. I, having those as my basic factors, I took a perfume bottle that I found on eBay and pulled it into Photoshop and made it into the shape I wanted it to be and gave that to my bottle broker. And the great thing about having this on my own bottle is, A, I own the molds so that no one else is trying to get my glass except for me so I don't have supply chain issues. And B, I own the patent on the bottle so no one else can steal my design. Nice. Yeah, it's a cool design. I was, I was going to say I haven't seen anything like it, but you just uh, told me why, so I don't have to say that now. And do they, mine came in a box. Do they all yes. come in boxes? No. Uh, the boxes are gifts. Okay. Every, we, we, we really try to make sure that for the holiday season, people have access to the boxes because there's a lot of gift giving right now. And the great thing about the box is the box has the story on the outside. It does, yes. And that's, that is so cool. And for me, the story is the most important part. The juice is delicious, but the story is what matters. As a sales guy, um, I, I sell stuff, right? And you're a sales guy, so you know right. <laughs> you are too. I know that uh, facts tell, but stories sell. Yes. And the story is the key element. Nobody really wants to know this, the facts. Is it saying, yeah, 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 okay, it's on the label, whatever. But 
The label's cool. Uh, it's S O R E L. Yes. Which is a name or a, the spelling I think that you've kind of created as your own as well. It's not necessarily the, the normal spelling for it, or at least historically anyway. If you had this drink in the in the Caribbean, they, it's called Sorrel, S-O-R-R-E-L. My version is called Sorrel for two specific reasons. The first is I have a speech impediment, so I have great difficulty pronouncing the letter R. But the real reason is the word Sorrel is in the public domain and I can't trademark it. I can trademark Sorrel. Okay, yeah, just like your bottle. Yep. Build, it's just building your own table. Build your own name, build your own bottle. Jackie, you got it down, man. It's important to own these things. It's very important to own these things. And it's interesting about selling. I always tell my team, we don't sell. We create experiences in sales or a byproduct. When, as soon as people feel like you're trying to sell them something, they stop listening. Absolutely. They'll forget everything you said in your sales pitch, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. So we're trying to provoke an emotional response so people can bond to the narrative and become part of the story themselves. And I, what, something that was kind of unique, um, I uh, on last week's podcast, I spoke with a, a good friend of mine who lives in Germany, and uh, we were making eggnog. We were making um, for for Christmas time. We had, it's a seasonal drink, just like Sorel is Christmas in a glass. You know, so right. eggnog is kind of Christmas in a glass too, and at least this time of year anyway. And uh, he lives in Germany. He's in the military and he's moved around all over the place. And as we, as we caught him yes, uh, last week, he's in Germany and they had just been at a German market and they were doing stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, a German Christmas market. And they were saying that they were trying these drinks that are in that general region. Uh, and one of them was Glühwein. Mm-hmm. And we kind of described it a little bit. And I think it's a drink you, you drink hot, but I had never heard of it. And I didn't, I didn't really know what to ask about it. And then I was reading something about you, and I saw you talk about comparing Sorel to Gluvine. Yes. I was blown away by that because I had never heard of Gluvine before last week. And all of a sudden, now I've heard of this twice. So I figured <laughs> uh, this is perfect timing. So how, does, how is Sorel like Gluvine, and what, what's the comparison there? I think the comparison comes in because Gluvine is served hot, and Sorel can be served hot. And it shares some of the same uh, baking spices, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove. But the big difference between Sorel and Gluvine is Gluvine is wine-based and Sorel has no fruit in it. Because Sorel has no fruit, there are no sulfites and no tannins, so there's no wine headache afterwards. Mm, important. And you were talking about how, how, how you make people feel. And that includes how Sorel makes people feel, right? It's part of the experience. If your biggest recollection of a beverage is the headache it gives you afterwards, you might not <laughs> want to go back to that. <laughs> So you're telling me that uh, we don't have to worry about that with Sorel. We can indulge moderately and, and still be okay. Yeah. And here's a great thing about Sorel is all of the ingredients in there were used for Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years. Hibiscus, cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, ginger. These are all things designed to make your body feel good. And it's really, it's 15% alcohol. It's just enough alcohol to be a stabilizing agent, but not it's, it's not meant to, to get people drunk. It's meant to enjoy with your friends. And maybe even day drink a little bit, I guess, huh? And maybe even day drink a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> All right, Jackie. It's been uh, fun getting to chat with you here and get to know you a little bit. I uh, certainly appreciate what you're doing and uh, love your spirits and uh, the things you talk about, building tables. And and um, you just got a good energy. I like it. I'm, I'm pulling for you. 
um, pulling for Sorrell. I want to live in a more equitable world. That's certainly something that we should all strive for. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for stopping by and uh, SorrellOfficial.com. Yep. Right. And we'll have some links to um, your the website and the show notes down below. And if you want to get in touch with Jackie and be an investor in Sorrell or you want to distribute Sorrell into your state or your place, then uh, we'll, we'll link to that below. Jackie, it's been a lot of fun. An absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.